Optimism vaccine. Welcome back. And I'm sure, you know, you, you're probably happy to hear our regular voices again. We had a couple of swerves for you the last few weeks. We had that episode of Discourse from the Big Chair, and then, shoot, last week we got, uh, you know, hijacked by some early 90s FM radio, but we're back. Things are back to normal. And uh, back with me, it's Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. Back to the grind, I see. Oh, the grind indeed. <laughs> also joining us, Jack Eason. Good to be back, Steve. It's good to be back in the present day. You know, when things are better, everything costs more. Actually, maybe we should go back to the 90s. Seemed pretty cool yeah, at the time. It's, it's good. Everything costs more, but it's like disposable. You don't actually own anything. You just kind of pay for services that provide things that disintegrate. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool here in the present. And Jake's not with us because after his 90s talk radio shenanigans, he was uh, he was canceled and excommunicated. Simply put, we had to get rid of him. Uh, or maybe he has a baby now. Who knows? It's impossible to say. But uh, I, I actually am a, I'm a little upset with him because I, I floated not one, not two, but three variations on the name Steve for him to name his child. And yet somehow he chose not to use any of them. I mean, I figured you'd go with the logic uh, of Adam, you know, that it's, it seems to be the logic that parents of our generation had it was like, oh, he's the firstborn. Adam, Adam was the first, first man. See, mm -hmm. you should have just gone with that. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how you, sh you should do it really is you, you name your firstborn son, Adam. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you have a girl with number two, then you, you go to your other child, you take out one of his ribs mm -hmm. and uh, you name the girl Eve. That's how it works. It's just going to get kind of oh. complicated if later on down the line he has to shout at that child and the child has one of your guys' name. Just gonna, he's doing this for the good of the podcast, which I think is admirable if misguided. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, that, that is a good point because I want to know the difference between like when he's upset with me or when he's like slapping his kid around. So that's, that's good to have that differentiating. So, all right. Well, you know, we're we're kind of we're kind of hitting the refresh button here. We're cleansing our palates, and how do you cleanse your palate when you're optimist in vaccine? And the answer is vinegar syndrome, baby. You you go and and you dig into the vinegar syndrome hole, and you you move your fingers around. You pull out a slimy piece of trash, and then that's what you talk about. And we didn't just pull out one slimy piece of trash. Why we pulled out a whole box set. And uh, thank God, because I've got enough of their releases on my shelf that I haven't gotten around to watching yet. So uh, this helped me out because we got to knock out a whole box set. And I feel like I really accomplished something. But we're taking a look at Homegrown Horror, Volume 1 from Vinegar Syndrome. And this is sort of their attempt. I hope it's more of a series. This one just came out last year. But uh, it seems like they're, they're trying to package these as sort of like basically super low budget uh regional horror oddities not necessarily shot on video but uh kind of embodying that same diy aesthetic from uh you know late 80s early 90s uh movies that maybe didn't see a, a very wide theatrical release or one at all so <laughs> I, would, I would suggest probably not at all yeah or another good way to think about it is these are 
interesting cultural oddities. I think they're they're good films if you like Vinegar Syndrome stuff, but I can understand why they're not like, let's give these standalone releases because uh, you'd probably be like, what the fuck is any of this? Uh, I mean, But that's okay, because you put three together and here we are. You got a podcast talking about it. I mean, you are talking about the company that put Devil's Story out on a standalone release, which is the most <laughs> absurd film I think I've seen oh. in a while. No clue. I, I, I mean... As a person who owns and adores Devil's Story, <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to vouch for it because, yeah, it, that should be something like that seems like something that's buried in one of those old like you go to Dollar General and they have the uh, 57 horror greats box set. And it's like the double sided DVDs. And then Devil's Story is buried on disc 27. Uh, that's the kind of movie that is. And, and that's probably where a lot of these ended up. I know that. Winter Beast had a DVD release and a VHS release, uh, may have even been self-distributed by the filmmakers and producers. Uh, not, not an easy one to find. And then I ended up, because the movie went out of print, I ended up buying a, a bootleg copy of Winter Beast years and years ago, which is where I first saw it. And then also we've got Beyond Dream's Door and Fatal Exam, uh, two films which I had never even heard of before which again i mean this is kind of what we do so you know when i when you come across it, beyond dreams door it's like oh no that's don't get it confused with beyond the door or the dream door or any other number of films that have a similar name same with fatal exam you're like oh have you seen fatal exam and that's one of those movies where you stop and go I mean, probably it's a, <laughs> it's a slasher from 1990 called fatal exam i'm sure i've seen I haven't seen this before. So, uh, yeah, it's it's easy for films like this to kind of get lost between the cracks. And uh, Fatal Exam is a, a good place to start because I think it speaks to a, a kind of discourse that's very prevalent right now with uh, people who are talking about contemporary horror movies. And you have this idea of, you know, there's there's your meat and potatoes horror and then there's your elevated horror. And rightfully so i think there's been a lot of pushback against uh, what that elevated horror is and why you can't don't fucking use that term but one of the the common criticisms that i've seen is a lot of people are like yeah all these artsy fartsy horror movies or these elevated horror movies or these directors that think they're hot shit they have these horror films where nothing happens for like a solid hour before things finally start to get moving. And, and they seem to attribute that to uh, like just the pretension of contemporary horror filmmakers. I, I've actually, I've seen a lot of that criticism lobbied at uh, X, the new Ty West movie. Um, or, I mean, even if you look at an old Ty West movie, I think people have uh, had that same criticism against like House of the Devil. Mm -hmm. But when you really look at these low-budget slasher films, these regional horror films, you know, uh, the golden era of horror in many people's eyes, this is what you're fucking getting. You're getting a whole lot of nothing <laughs> happening. And, God, you want to talk about, like, oh, inspiration for Ty West. Fatal Exam is a movie where uh, a bunch of people show up to a house and just, like, walk around touching shit for, like, 20 minutes. Oh, I thought you were so, going to say that Ari Aster ripped this movie off. What was I mean, it? yeah, that's also a possibility. Yeah, the, the, the whole demonic cult uh, that's actually 
living among the protagonists here throughout the film mm-hmm. and, and the dollhouse. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, this is probably an Ari Aster classic. But, yeah, this is, this is a film where it's basically a, a weird hangout movie, and it seems to go out of its way to really try and, like, sell you on these characters while making sure that nothing happens. It is a absolute <laughs> sludge fest, and yet I find it oddly fascinating. I think maybe that's why you guys like this movie more than I do, is because you just, you really like to hang out with these protagonists. These are your people. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what is that supposed to be? Canadian guys? <laughs> we, with no, like St. These Louis are St. Louis shirts? guys, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they eat their fucking yo-yo. pizza on a cracker. <laughs> yeah, you know me and Jack, we're always... We're always like, man, if if you don't fucking come from the city under the arch, we don't give a fuck about you. Like, we only want to hang with our arch boys. All so. about that Provel cheese. <laughs> God. <laughs> Dude, fucking St. Louis pizza is the worst shit in the world. Also, St. Louis style ribs, barely ribs. Just throwing that out there, too. St. Louis, your food is on fucking notice, man. Anyways, go ahead, Jack. Oh, I was just saying, this is, um, yeah, this is... Uh, admirable on a couple of levels for me. I mean, it really, this is genuine regional, like, outsider art, almost. I, mean, I don't know what framework produced this film. This looks completely amateurish. Uh, you've definitely got to be down for that. Uh, the, the actors in this film uh, do not, I'm guessing, have a long, <laughs> have long resumes of previous credits. It looks like they may never have been in front of a camera ever prior they might mm-hmm. not even know what one does it's possible but yeah it's it's just a really peculiar kind of a film about that that signposts everything pretty early on our our protagonist wakes up he has a vision of a man with a knife uh and blood in his hands and he's kind of like oh that's a bit weird and then his uh his his college lecturer quite inexplicably uh, in an in incredible monotone in a scene that honestly <laughs> seems to go on for like an enormously long amount of time. I don't know why. This took fucking this... professor, man. That, what, what a monologue. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he basically, he proposes the fatal exam, essentially. We don't know it's fatal at that point, uh, but guess what? You know, um, and and he proposes essentially that it's some kind of, I, I, I maybe missed some of the details here, but basically he feels the only way to really pass his class or to properly gauge his class, because it's not apparently not a real class or whatever, I don't know, it's an elective <laughs> or something. Uh, he wants just, uh, just a handful, not even the whole class has to do this, which is very confusing, only like five of them are needed, to go to this like haunted house, supposedly, and just hang out there for, for a weekend and that's yeah. the premise of the movie. Go, so to, they, the, they go to the spooky house. Trespass at the spooky house. Please. I'm your professor. I'm, I'm yeah. begging you to do this. And if no one if no one volunteers, right, then they're just not going to have a final. I, I, you know, <laughs> I This is a, a strange <laughs> academic reality where this class is signposted as not applying to any major whatsoever. It's, in fact, banned from applying <laughs> to their studies. And uh, <laughs> the final, either you volunteer or we're just not going to have one. This is oh just the, this is the too hot for TV psychology course. Like people can't even handle it. This is like fucking Jordan Peterson walking in and being like, "Fucking clean your room." The class. Well, this is, this this is, is a Taylor <laughs> Swift major, effectively, but you know, predicted back in probably the mid '80s when this thing was shot. We, we were talking beforehand. We don't exactly know when any of these movies were shot because their release dates are 
potentially years off from when they were actually uh, oh my completed. Gosh. So a bit of a mystery there, a little fun detail. I think this is what, do you say, like 1990 release date, but looks solidly mid-80s, uh, all kinds of details. Yeah. But um, yeah, as much as long as it took me to, to lay out the premise from the, the, the professor, just know that that scene just seems to just move on for forever. Um, this, this is, like I said, I enjoyed this movie. I really liked it, but it is definitely... It has a weird rhythm to it. It is incredibly languorous and slow and repetitive. There's one scene where a dude finds... Uh, it's one of the action sequences in the movie, frankly. One of the more really exciting things, particularly within the first hour, where a guy opens, like, a really shitty-looking table. Like, God, it's a really awful-looking, like, little wooden table that you find in your grandma's house. And there's a, a severed head in there. Um, and, and he just keeps, he just reels away in horror and he just keeps going ahead. There's a head. It's a head. And he does that for longer than you would think anyone would allow that to happen in a film. He just keeps doing it while everyone just stares at him as if they don't speak English. Yeah, it's kind of amazing they spent five years in post-production and didn't edit a single fucking thing. It, it's it, truly an achievement. It's a, <laughs> I, the, the geography of the room seems to morph as he just keeps reeling backwards further and further, but we're not quite sure where everything is. But it's that kind of a movie. But like I say, I you know, horror cinema has this kind of uh, accessibility that this film really latches into. It, it's a genuine homegrown effort. Um and uh, you, uh, you're either in on that or you're not. It's definitely, there's certainly certain allowances you have to make for it. But I don't know, it's kind of fun. You you see people in this in this movie who look, first off, like absolutely the most quintessentially American people I've ever seen. They just, they just absolutely look like the, the, the platonic ideal of the North American continent. And you also realize they're the kind of people you've never seen in a movie before, ever like they just they don't these are not the people that america puts on television but they are no. the core of the nation the salt of the earth it's just this that is, weird if, if you're midwestern okay if you're midwestern this is like your dad is sitting in the garage drinking a beer listening to fucking acdc and then everyone in this movie is the guy who rolls up and sells him a fucking dime bag and then drives away that's <laughs> Well, every single person here most of them i mean the protagonist i don't think that guy's doing any fucking dime bags he's he's like some doughy lump of a man who <laughs> i uh, what a what a thing you you know i would have like squabbled if you said st louis was the midwest but after seeing this movie it, uh, st louis is the midwest folks <laughs> oh hell yeah people people don't think about it like because like missouri's weird because it's like I mean, it's middle America, it's flyover, it's the Midwest, it's kind of the South in yeah. a lot of ways. It's a lot of things. A lot of things I'm not interested in for the most <laughs> part, but St. Louis, the greater St. Louis area, 100% Midwestern. Yeah, there could be no argument after seeing this film. That is as Midwest as it gets. Yeah, it's 100%. Just, it's, it's in their DNA down there. Now, once you get into the Ozarks, that's a little different, but... <laughs> and this movie fuck around there this this movie's great because um i mean like i say i enjoyed it i i was entertained by it i am trying now to recall the people in it and all of them are i couldn't recall a single name of anyone in this movie there's basically there's the main guy there's yo-yo mustache man who's my favorite mm. that guy looks yeah, like he him. has his performance is absolutely a thing of just rare beauty uh every line is delivered with just the utter earnestness of him having just read it off a piece of paper. It's incredible. Uh, there's several women. 
uh, for various. One of them's protagonist's sister, I believe. Um, yeah, and, and is that's dating relevant. Yo-Yo Man. Is dating Yo-Yo Man? Yes, they always oh. stand next to each other. It's very unclear, frankly. The, the characters are not well defined. There's a audiovisual guy who knows about cameras yeah. and stuff. Uh, and then obviously you have the professor, you have the cult leader who is mostly appears in visions because uh, he actually he died. He murdered his family. Actually, there's a lot of overlap with this with another Vinegar Syndrome release, um, which Witch Trap, the Kevin Tenney film, which is a lot of fun, actually. Uh, well worth a look if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, an enormous amount of overlap in terms of a bunch of ghost researchers going to a building where a cult, a satanic cult leader guy murdered his whole family and then disappeared. Uh, that one is slightly more professionally put together, but maybe only slightly, depending on your frame of reference. It's still very much a uh, homegrown kind of like low budget piece of work. But, you know, it's it's a classic. It's got this thing has it all. You know, you hang around. They're looking at different rooms. They're kind of like at one point he gets a vision. There's this great portrait of the cult leader uh, in the bedroom. And it's like it's fantastic. It just looks like someone's business card photo they had done down at like fucking king goes or whatever but they just taped it to the wall and that's like a portrait of the man in the house and and our protagonist as i mentioned dreamed about him like the first scene in the film he saw this guy in a dream and he just kind of looks at it like oh yes yeah, that guy from the dream and he's a little suspicious but not that suspicious based on the fact that he's only just shown up here for like a, a exam basically an, an optional <laughs> exam a fatal exam. Tremendous screenwriting and and just general layout. Really, really fun. Yeah, mm. it, it's the couples. That's where things really go into like, who the fuck are these people? It's like, oh, Jim and Donna left to go to the store. I'm like, who? People disappear sometimes, and it doesn't really seem to matter. And then some of them are in the cult later on. It turns out one like one of the women is is bad. Uh, but if I had to mm-hmm. remember which one it was, I would have difficulty. Uh, it was you know. blonde. Uh, blonde, I guess. I, I know we're struggling here, but the funny thing is, out of the three movies in this box set, this is probably the easiest one to describe what's going on at any given time. <laughs> Definitely, the yeah, the closest to a genre <laughs> or like an established yeah. genre, certainly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's almost a slasher. I Actually, I like... A uh, friend of the show, Justin DeClos, on Letterboxd, he actually reviewed this movie. He also liked it, Jack, so you're, you're in good company. He described it as, what if Chantel Ackerman directed a regional slasher film? And I think that's a very accurate description. <laughs> I don't, Is this a slasher? I don't know. I mean, it's for like the a, last like 30-ish minutes, maybe? Kind of? Yeah, you know, well, it kind of works someone, its like, way hit, uh, continuously, like, stumbles around in a black robe, like, striking someone with the dull end of a scythe? You mean the action-packed chase sequence, Adam? Oh, God. Yeah, that <laughs> whole basement thing, it makes no sense at all. It, it's just like... Oh, we're going to go down into this hole for some reason. And uh, fucking Lunk McGill uh, yo-yos his way over and is like, I guess I'll get you this rope, even though there's a rope ladder. And sitting there is very visibly to frame flares. And then they're like, you know, it'd be useful flares. He's like, oh, uh, there were flares right there. And then he just, instead of flares, there's now a Grim Reaper who... Again, does not stab. There is no stabbing. It's just like mm-hmm. flipped around backwards. And it's like caning. The guy. <laughs> I'm like, thumping and caning. That's what we do. 
this this movie also has probably one of the most um, like if you were teaching a college class on on you know film tropes, a Chekhov's gun. This is maybe one of the most fantastic examples of this, where they're going to just a random college outing, and the guy's just like pulls out this massive revolver that he's just bringing with him, just in the trunk of the car. He's just leaving it loose in the trunk of the car, just there. Yeah, you know, which, yeah. to be honest, is kind of also very quintessentially American, frankly. I mean, I would say it's unrealistic, except that I literally know a guy who did exactly this when we went on vacation once, uh, and he just brought a gun with him because he wanted people to see his gun. So, you know, <laughs> just... Who are you going on vacation with? Oh, he's, a, he's just, a, <laughs> just a guy I know. He's a dumbass, but, uh, you know, he's he's very Southern, so he probably owns several guns. We have a, we actually have a plot, uh, or like, kind of almost like a pot going on this guy about whether or not he's going to murder suicide his wife he's kind of a friend of friends so you know uh, <laughs> i i, I want to know where you were going to you're like okay we're ready for our trip to dollywood and no <laughs> he's he's like, you're good i brought my magnum you were a hundred percent right we were going to gatlinburg tennessee we were yeah. flying around and he basically <laughs> we were up the smoky mountains in a cabin and he's like here's my gun it's like a i don't know like a glock handgun it's like in case there's a bear and it's like if there's a bear that's not going to do anything much. So there were <laughs> no, no bears. Sounds like a good way to piss off a bear. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, he's not a smart guy and he's now really unhappy. So if anything, there's, there's justice in the world. So yeah, it's, it's all cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good bear. So <laughs> that's that's yeah, it. But I, anyway, I just, you know, so like this guy bringing this gun randomly, which then becomes, you know, a key part of the third act of the film. That felt very real and natural to me based on my own American experiences. <laughs> I wonder why they didn't like, I, I don't, there's so many bizarre decisions with, especially like food and drink. This cooler, uh, the AV club guy, uh, he's... Man, this is this is my favorite scene in the movie, I gotta say, where he's just like for no reason decided he needs to stay and solve this mystery. And he just like systematically opens like eight cans of Pepsi and like <laughs> <laughs> rams through like four cigarettes and it's just you would think that this would be some sort of montage or something. No, it's just like straight through. He's just cracking cans of Pepsi they over didn't have and over. Gamer again. fuel back then, so you just had to do eight cans of Pepsi in a row. That was that was your only alternative. Yeah. yeah. Not everybody could fuel up like you, Myra. You would think like with this whole plot of like good old boys who don't give a fuck about any of this and are just like sitting in a, this house to party it down and are, and are cracking buds that there's like two beers. I don't know. It's just, again, some strange decisions with all of that. Yeah, I, I want like a party the first night or something. These guys should be really uh, overdoing it, being negligent, passing out. Hallucinating. Yeah, it's it. a bunch of college students, you know, couples hanging out in in an abandoned house for the night. So they all just get in their sleeping bags and go to bed for the first yeah. night. <laughs> it's it's a very strange setup. Some some decisions, especially when we establish like it'd be one thing if we were like, oh, we got to pass this class, guys. This is important stuff. But no, they're all just like immediately the second they walk in the door, they're like, hey, man, you want a brewski? <laughs> but then they don't party. They just fucking <laughs> sit on couches for yeah. fucking endless hours it's, it's just it's a hangout movie with some people that you, you may not want to hang out with yeah it's no, like a, it's no. like a pleasant distance it's like hangout movie mm -hmm. but with people you might actually not want to hang out with so it's kind of like a sociological kind of like deal you know oh, you, sure, you, get, yeah. you get to hang yeah. out with these people but you can you, you don't have to be there really so it's it's kind of a beautiful mm -hmm. thing it's like a great like it's an amazing historical document of just like 80s 
uh, like kind of fashion and mannerisms and products and you know like I just recently I watched like Manhunter the Michael Mann movie which is considerably better than this I would have to admit I know you're all surprised <laughs> um, yeah several Michael Mann movies are probably better than a uh, fatal exam for being oh, for being yeah. fully honest name name two, name two. <laughs> Jeez, I couldn't choose heat has its moments <laughs> but you know there's a great scene in Manhunter where they're just walking through a supermarket aisle in like 1986 and it's just kind of fun you see everything on the shelves you know movies have that time capsule quality Fatal Exam, by its just existence, has a great kind of a time capsule quality. These are the sort of things that, you know, if you watch too many movies, this is kind of the value some films take on. They're kind of like they're recordings of places you don't really see otherwise. You were you weren't there. I wasn't in the US in 1985 or 6 or whenever the hell they made this. Maybe all of those years. Not sure. Mm -hmm. They might have just done pickups endlessly for three years every weekend. I have no idea how they made this fucking movie. Um, but you know, it's it's there are those elements, and they're they're honestly, if, yeah. If you're gonna watch Fatal Exam, that's what you're looking for. Frankly, is to see kind of an un, a familiar genre film, but kind of like inhabited with peculiarities, things that a more funded film would not let happen. Um, it's it's basically America with the veneer off, kind of. You sure, know, America, yeah. This is American cinema unfiltered, and if you can handle it, there's there's simple joys to be had, and some of it is really funny. Personally, <laughs> you know, yeah. like the head sequence and the guy just <laughs> cracking a hundred cans of Pepsi for no goddamn reason, and just you know, sometimes you just check back in, and the scene is still going, and you kind of checked out for a while, but you don't think you missed anything. It really, you know. Tremendous film. I fully recommend this. <laughs> this is probably the worst of the three movies, but I still enjoyed it. It's still better than anything we, we covered in their fucking last podcast. So, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> this uh, is me. Yeah. Jack calls it a time capsule. I felt as if I was, like, buried in a time capsule while I was watching this thing. I, I swear to God. I, it, it, this is instructive. It shows you the value of editing and uh, how painful it can be when every scene is, like... <laughs> interminably overlong for no fucking these reason. I like it. Probably Shades doing of great Veronica. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the only other movie I can think of that I've seen where things just linger uncomfortably and, and you can't figure out why. Veronica does the same thing. Although Veronica, a much worse movie, but yes, uh, clearly from the same <laughs> school of thought. When it comes that's, to that's me. The reason Veronica is, is in way a worse movie is because this is clearly from St. Louis in the mid-80s, whereas Veronica is from nowhere. It is an absolute conundrum of a production. Oh, yeah, I thought it was French. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got great French accents. Oh, my God, the French accents <laughs> that film are I, absolutely astounding. Uh, I, yeah, I, has has uh, Danzig ever been to France, do you think? Like, is he aware? I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I think I think the closest he's ever come to being to France is he watched, like, the Pink Panthers Steve Martin version. That's, like, everyone's <laughs> accent in, in Veronica. And, and the other thing is, too, is, like, there's, there's no reason why these people even have to be faking French accents. Like, this doesn't have to take place in Paris because it's just so, it's so, like, like, it's not nothing about the movie is like, oh, this is a this clearly has to take place here. No, it could be anywhere. Could, could have been in fucking St. Louis. 
But instead, he hired a bunch of porn stars to be like, ha, 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 yeah. there is a Spider-Man <laughs> over here. But he did not hire French porn stars. First, no, no. It's no. an incredible series of <laughs> events. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of remarkable. And that's, I think he was like, like, he likes Hammer movies, maybe. And it's like, they're all British because those are British films. And that's classy as hell. So he just decided yeah. just he'd move one country over, but he's not in France. So it just things got complicated. Incredible film. We're not yeah. talking about Veronica, but if you've never seen no. Veronica, definitely worth checking out. But keep your finger keep your finger on the stop button just in case, because mm-hmm. it can get a little just overwhelming. Yeah, you ever you ever seen a, a titty with an eyeball on it? Because Veronica's got it. So think about that the next time you're looking for something to watch. Anyways. <laughs> so Outside of Fatal Exam, I, I think we have next what I would call, I, I don't know if it's my favorite in the box set, but you could probably argue that it's it's the most successful film in the in the entire box and also the most maybe ambitious or, or conceptually interesting. But we have a movie called Beyond Dream's Door, and this is written and directed by a guy named Jay Wolfel, And it started off as a short in like 1983. And then I get the feeling that, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street comes out, Hellraiser comes out. uh, Any any amount of these like big, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Shit. Uh, Why am I blanking? The tall man, Myros, help me out. Phantasm. Yeah, I think that, well, that's earlier. It's like late 70s, but it's... uh... Definitely a touchstone for this film, certainly. Sure. So all, all of these movies have sort of, you know, dominated the box office in the 1980s, and Jay Wolfel says to himself, oh, fuck, I gotta, I gotta make this proper. And so you get Beyond Dream's Door, which, I mean, holy shit, I, I don't think a movie that has the budget of, like, a used Volvo has any business looking this good or playing around with big ideas even though most of them don't actually work that well, but <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a load of fun, and it looks fucking great. Mm-hmm. This was, I think, so. This is um, Ohio based somewhere. I'm not sure where, but it's like is it's, it's attached to some university. I think he made this in part with like either as Ohio, Ohio State. State University. Ohio State. Yeah. Okay, so and he made this as I I don't know if we did it as a student project for credit or he just managed to make friends with people in the AV department and just borrow their equipment or whatever. But um it it certainly benefits he he clearly got in with a bunch of people who were interested in making films. There's there's quality here. The acting is still very ropey and amateurish but it is amateurish mm-hmm. because these people are amateur actors rather than that they're just people which <laughs> fatal exam had and um, the special effects are again obviously limited but they are they clearly are made by people who are interested in this and are learning how to do it uh this is yeah a really really fascinating film really interesting it fits an enormous amount of event in too much maybe uh, every single mm-hmm. scene is um kind of like starts disintegrating and unfolding into new possibilities as the dreams break through into reality. Uh, it, it's a really, honestly, certainly I would agree. It's not my favorite of the three films we're discussing, but I think certainly this is the most successful film based on what it is trying to do. And in terms of yeah. direction, uh, Wolfel is doing a, a really cogent, coherent job with this. And, an amb- you know, like you say, Steve, an ambitious, he, he really is trying for some things here. 
Uh, so yeah. yeah, fully, fully recommend and really surprised by this one. I, I was not expecting as this thing started off to be like, you know, oh, this this looks good. This looks really good. This is better than a lot of those elevated horror movies that come out, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the, the other thing is, too, is, you know, what this this movie draws heavily from Phantasm. It, clearly, it's got some Wes Craven, some Nightmare on Elm Street. It's got some Hellraiser here. But it doesn't have a tall man. It doesn't have a Freddy Krueger. It doesn't have Cenobites. So it's sort of... It, well, it's, it's got that guy more with no hands. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's got Shake. some weird, like, Twin Peaks stuff going on, where it's just like, who is this guy? Is he a monstrous demon or just a janitor without hands? You'll have to decide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think the problem I have with this, and I don't have many, like, I, I think this is easily the best of the bunch. I know you guys are going to go to bat for something that is inexplicable but uh <laughs> yeah no, this is like a legitimately excellent film like i especially i mean i think the biggest problem with it is that it, it wants to follow with sort of a traditional narrative like it wants to have this conclusion that it doesn't really fit with the rest of the film where it's just like we're gonna trap the dream guy it's like wh why why do we got to trap? Did you let's just live in this? <laughs> also, I'm not, not too convinced that, guy. I'm not too convinced that traps really going to work because it's just a trap door in a building that surely yeah. someone's going to open that door at some point. But anyway, it's all good. Yeah. Well, that's for the sequel. That's a, <laughs> beyonder Dreams door. Yeah, but it's it's also like if, if you break down the things that I love about 80s horror. And if, if you break down the things that I look for in films like this one, where like I've, I had never heard of Beyond Dream Store before. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're kind of like uncovering these lost gems, this is exactly what I look for. It's got these goopy, slimy practical effects. It's got rubber suit monsters. It's shot on grainy ass 16 millimeter. Like what, what else do you want in a movie? Come on. And, and then the fact that it's competent on top of that, oh, that's just a, fucking cherry on top of the sunday there's so many like really cool visuals and this is visual ideas and um, there's like one sequence with like um, i do not remember the context like i say there's so much happening i need to watch this movie again just to try and figure it like every single scene is like the maximalist approach which kind of works because it, it is about basically a guy who is being his dreams are being invaded and the the boundaries between dream and reality are breaking down so constantly what he thinks is is normal reality kind of shatters and you realize he's actually in a dream or or maybe he's not in a dream maybe it's made its way through etc etc but it's this wonderful sequence with like this translucent like head sculpture filling with with like red goo but like it's refracted and the camera kind of like cycles around it. it's like this really fascinating kind of a shot it's a really mm -hmm. you know like it's it's a real bravado visual moment it's the kind of thing that a real filmmaker would make um, mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, and as much, as much as I have great admiration for anyone who completes a feature film, like the other two movies we're making have certainly logistical, technical feats just to get them working. But like this is certainly working on a di an additional level. This isn't just getting the stuff on camera like he's he's really reaching to create images and, you know, notable kind of like uh, pictorial schema it's it's something beyond it's much more accomplished than the other two films on that on that mm -hmm. level 
And yeah, it's it's and it's also got this great low budget feel of you know I mean obviously like Steve mentioned um, like Hellraiser or Phantasm or I think the, there's a British film Dream Demon which I don't know if it would have been if he probably might have seen it I don't know but uh, which is basically like Hellraiser it's a complete remake of Hellraiser but it's about a dream element again um it, it has all those kind of elements too but it also has like that kind of low budget like carnival of souls or i think it was like something like shatter dead which has another like no budget horror movie but kind of the element that so many low budget horror movies ultimately have to lean into which is just kind of like filming just people while milling around and you're never quite sure whether the what the person represents is it a friend is it a foe you know that kind of uncertainty of social interactions which is ultimately very cheap to get on camera because what you need really is just a place and more than one person uh you know it but it, mm. it, it really pulls all that together this is a really great kind of bridging point of uh, a low budget film with with eyes on something grander and i don't know if this was like i say a college project or whatever but um yeah really really kind of goes above and beyond really good movie yeah and when we say college project, like it's not speaking to any sort of amateur nature here. It's, I mean, these people are swinging for the fences because you could tell like there's, there's mundane scenes where you're like, why was that just like this gorgeous dolly shot that you just plop down for this nothing scene? And the answer is because somebody was trying to get something in their, in their portfolio. So they could be yeah. like, let me show you my clip reel. But that's like every scene has something like that. Where you're like, Ooh, it is weird. <laughs> it, like, honestly, and, you know, no offense to the actors who, you know, are certainly are certainly working on a better template or better skill than some other low budget movies. But this is a weird one where honestly the behind the, the camera stuff is so much better than what's in front of the camera in terms of the actors and stuff. You know, normally actors are, are relatively accessible. You know, there's a struggling actors everywhere, but finding a good cameraman, a, you know, a, someone who's thinking visually dolly operation all that stuff though you know the resources to do that that's usually where film you know falls down where you know you have to start improvising or you know uh simplifying your shot list because you just you can't do it without a bunch of equipment so they get they've got all the equipment or they got the know-how and they've got the savvy to put it all together the like the, it's a, like a really well shot movie but you'll note when you see the actors that it's like well clearly this is not hollywood but uh you know that's it's really cool it's a, this is um a tremendous thing to and i know this had a home video release prior to vinegar syndrome as well um because there's archival extras on it i don't know who released it previously but just really cool that this movie is still out there kicking around and can be rediscovered by by us i'd never heard of this movie before vinegar syndrome released it either so this is good stuff this is uh, important work yeah, yeah yeah shout out to rick kessler by the way who plays one of the professor uh is this psychology professors uh two teachers assistants uh who are seemingly you know grad student age but th this man is uh he's got to be 50 he he's just ancient it's amazing uh <laughs> I, I i love that sort of casting choice where you're like what the fuck is this guy doing here dating like a a 23 year old and hanging out with all these college students it's like it's it's pretty amazing yeah like it, the other thing too is all the casting reeks of availability. Like, who's around? <laughs> Our protagonist is like this this schlubby goober, doesn't really fit <laughs> the character at all. And then uh, the the secondary male lead is yeah, that's the most, Rick Kessler. Like, yeah, that's Rick Kessler. 
he's definitely like 47 playing 23 uh <laughs> It's just, it's a really powerful I mean, And what you're describing is basically a Woody Allen film. Uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really enjoyed this film. I was shocked by it. I, I, do, I don't think it, it sticks to landing, but, uh, man, that first act is just fucking incredible. It's got this disjointed feeling like the best possible way. You're going to get a mm-hmm. disjointed feel with all three of these films, to be sure, but uh, <laughs> this one is doing it with purpose. And yeah, everything up through when he's like meeting with the professor and the professor's like disappearance, you're like, wait a second, am I watching like a fucking amazing movie? How is this happening? That's it's a treat, man. It's a treat, and I think this one because this yeah again, high marks across the board. Like, seek it out if you if you can grab the box set from Vinegar Syndrome, obviously, but even if you want to watch it streaming, I think. Uh, it's on Pluto TV. It's on Shutter. It might be on Tubi. So just check it out. This one's streaming. So get a hold of it. It's it's worth your trouble. If you, if you have any interest in any of the films we've already discussed, if you're like, oh, I've seen so many horror movies. There's another from the 80s I haven't seen yet that uh, will really knock my socks off. Shut the fuck up. Watch Beyond Dream's Door. All right. Well, we have one more movie, and and I insisted that we save this one for last because... You want to talk about the filet. Jesus uh, Christ. <laughs> as I mentioned, I, I saw this one, you know, years ago when I bought a bootleg of it in the, in the dark ages before torrenting. And thank God Vinegar Syndrome was able to rescue this. And again, another reason to buy this box set. Not only does this version of the movie look about as damn good as a movie like this can look, but it is loaded, loaded with extras, including the original DVD audio commentary with the director producer. And I think one of the actors as well as a brand new commentary, you can watch the work print movie or the work print version of this movie, which you may be like, why the fuck would I want to do that? And the answer is because winter beast started production in like 85, 86 and then halted production. And then they picked it back up and, and finished the movie in 1989 and then eventually it got released around 1992. Boy, and, and you can't fucking tell. It's seamless, you know. Everything flows oh, together beautifully. There's, it, it, it there's flows no continuity together. errors in this film at all. No, not, not, not one to be found. And <laughs> let me tell you, I, I love this movie. I don't know what's happening in it. And this is the fourth time that I've watched it. <laughs> and I still could not tell you what it's about. Outside of like the broadest strokes of like, there's this town and a totem pole, and then monsters happen. Well, what more do you need? Here's a hot <laughs> tip for burgeoning filmmakers out there: if the if the time comes where you have to shut down a set, you know you're gonna have to resume filming years later, potentially, or even weeks later. Probably don't insert that later footage into like the same scenes you've already done. You know, try it, try it at least like just kind of leave each scene to a time period. <laughs> no, that that's the best part. It's especially because there's a there's a lot of mustache action going on in this film, and you just you're watching mustaches grow and and be trimmed and disappear all in the same scene, basically. Beautiful passage of time. This this is ambition. This is 
Oh, oh, it's pure ambition. Oh, I said you were first person with ambition. The stop motion artist. <laughs> it was ambitious. I'll tell you something. If you are a young filmmaker, this this is important. Winter Beast is important because it is fearless filmmaking. <laughs> Trademark that. Fearless Fear. filmmaking. Normally, you're like, okay, I've got uh, I've got twenty dollars, and I've got a bunch of local people in this small town, and God knows where, like fucking Vermont or something. Or Canada. I'm I'm unsure where this it's is. Massachusetts. But, Massachusetts. I believe, Massachusetts. Okay. I was close. Yeah. So y- you know, you might say, okay, well, let's think about what we can do with our budget. What's reasonable? What can we reasonably achieve? And what you can't reasonably achieve is a giant ass fucking mega million dollar monster movie. And yet. They wrote this script and they shot every single scene. So if you've ever asked yourself, you know, should I do it? Can I do it? No. Fearless filmmaking. Take all that ambition. Oh, you don't you don't have money for a, a giant, you know, 100 foot tall dinosaur monster. Just get yourself some bootleg ass Ray Harryhausen shit. Make it happen. <laughs> I love- and that's what this is. This is if you if you had Ray Harryhausen and you beat him over the head repeatedly with a claw tooth hammer. And then you abandoned him in the woods with just whatever pocket change he had and demanded that he make a movie. This is the movie he would make. I love I love the dinosaur because I think out of all the monsters, that's the one that just absolutely has no part in this movie. It's like no. completely or doesn't fit anything. But I, I genuinely I love this film. This is this to me is is such a, a fantastic wow. slice of cinema and absolutely beyond dreams door is this very competent, you know, slick within the context of its production, kind of like high-minded, ambitious horror film. Winter Beast is just this absolutely fascinating artifact of a, a couple of people with, with very specific interests making a movie in a very specific place with very little money. Um, this is just pure Americana, completely. I mean, the location stuff in this is amazing. I don't know where it was shot in Massachusetts, but, like, there's all these, like, you know, tourist gift shops. It seems to be it's, like, up in some, like, log cabin place that hasn't been renovated since the 50s. There's all these, like, wooden carved, you know, Native American statues, all this, like, just bric-a-brac weird stuff lying around. Like, every scene, the whole mm-hmm. opening is, like, this incredible, like bunch of like they just found a bunch of like 50s porno mags and they're just leafing through them and that in and of itself is just such a, a curious thing to find in a movie um there's just this real lived in quality within it it's really kind of mining into a sort of specific vein of kind of american consumerist culture they you know kind of like the, it's they they're matching up somewhat maybe like hard to say how knowing they were in writing it like this because really they just need an excuse for a monsters and and stuff so unknown like it's not exactly progressive in the way it integrates native american folklore uh (laughs) far from it but in a sense the the carelessness of the haphazardness of integrating in kind of like these these touristy places selling you know fake uh, Indian bric-a-brac nonsense and, you know, all these other, like, stores and this these monsters that represent, you know, an ancient spirit and an evil in the mountains. This is just, this is just a pure Americana film. This is just an amazing artifact. And I gotta say, I really loved it. And yeah, absolutely, it's haphazard as hell. Uh, the, the, the actor, I, lo- I kind of love the actor's performances, though. There's just, they, they, there's an 
an almost honestly unearned level of confidence to how they deliver some of the lines here. And I think it's just because they just showed up and it's like, just say it as loudly as you can. And that's what they're yeah, doing. Just, just everybody's at 10. Especially, yeah. my God, the guy who owns the inn or whatever, who's Amazing. like... Bev Bighead. <laughs> yeah, he's Bev Bighead meets like gay New Jersey Colonel Sanders meets Marshall Applewhite. He is 100% like a John Waters like character. Oh, totally a John Waters character. And he, I'm telling you, fucking Google Marshall Applewhite, who if you don't know was the leader of the uh, Hale-Bopp Comet uh, cult in the 90s. <laughs> fucking Google the Heaven's Gate cult leader Marshall Applewhite. That's who this guy is. There's no difference between the two of them. And the entire time, he's just like, why? I don't care if there's a monster in the woods tearing people apart. I've got money to make. Yeah, the, 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 main, the main story is basically Jaws. It's like uh, they're, yeah. they're basically people are just disappearing willy nilly in this small tourist woods. And there's lo and everyone keeps talking about how there's monsters out there. Everyone seems <laughs> to be just like, yeah, I think there's monsters out here. People keep dying. Anyway, you want to go skiing? And it's like, that's the whole, that's the whole setup. And it's just basically these like two rangers, one of whom just wears sunglasses everywhere, uh, which I guess in a way is its own continuity. <laughs> and, and, and he's the best because the <laughs> entire time he's just like, hey, do you like pussy? And there's entire scenes where it's just him thumbing through like nudie magazines. Yeah, it's classy as hell. Uh. And he keeps pulling out his flask of alcohol as well. Like that's his other thing. He just keeps like, hey, you want to have some booze? Like repeat that happens at least four times in the movie. Like mm -hmm. just to hammer it home. This dude drinks and, on and the job. Jack, you would think in a movie about, you know, a monster terrorizing a small resort town that there would be one titular winter beast a single winter beast but yeah. no 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 there is every single scene has a different winter there's beast. So many, there's one because uh, i watched this with the subtitles on because the sound mixing in this is um i'm it's, it's clearly limitations were encountered so i just found it easy just leave the subtitles on the vinegar syndrome disc has full subtitles it's only the monster at the end that's identified as the winter beast so yeah, uh, is any I mean again would this you film know does otherwise? not take place during winter also it, it, no, it, not it, at all. there seems to oh. not only is there so, not a titular beast it, instead there's just like 150 fucking claymation things it's also early not winter beast. <laughs> no it's it's September at the it's latest it's pointedly yeah. like an autumn festival going on throughout the fucking film the winter and beast so came here early beasts. Uh, even from the from the uh, claymation standpoint, you've got the first winter beast that we're introduced to, which is like that weird, like gray alien. He looks like uh, the the album cover for Blood Incantations: Hidden History of the Human Race, and he's killing people. And keep in mind too, like they have like a giant rubber hand that reaches in and grabs people out of uh, you know <laughs> their houses or whatever. And then it switches to some Mr. Bill ass fucking claymation guy that gets torn apart. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Like claymation is it's difficult, and the claymation of this is is so why not try it? Sure, yeah. No, the claymation <laughs> this is honestly it's not bad. It's it's pretty it's pretty good, except for the hardest part of claymation. The thing that Harry, the reason really Harry Housen stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Yes, his models and his attention to detail in his animation was spectacular absolutely mm -hmm. amazing i mean yeah. i love the, the claymation really... in this it's just like it's the direction like they should not have had the monsters like holding humans that's where things really fall well yeah apart. yeah i mean but it's the ambition like what harry Housen did that really made his name was he invented new processes for integrating 
you know, foreign background for integrating the claymation part with the real shot. And he, you know, he did a lot mm-hmm. of work with like different techniques for, for kind of producing that, which is why he really, he's not the credited director on any of his films, I don't think, but every, you know, every Harry House film was co-directed by Harry because he had to lay down exactly how everything was shot to his equipment and specifications so he could integrate in his models. It's really hard to do to integrate a claymation model with real people, obviously. And this movie really just shows you how hard it is because it doesn't work at all with what they're doing. Some parts it's completely unclear. Um, I'm trying to remember it's one part where like she reaches to grab some guy and he's fallen off and, and like he suddenly he picks up someone, but it doesn't even match the guy in the previous shot. And I don't know, was this was there someone else present? entirely mysterious i have no idea we don't know but you know it doesn't matter like i say this is just such a a weird vibe of a film this is such a unique artifact i i can have no complaints about this i loved this thing so you know whatever you know yeah fucking rocks Myros. next time you're in milwaukee jack's gonna come up from chicago and we're gonna have a good old winter beast bro down and you're gonna learn to love this damn i gotta watch this again a treasure hell yeah yeah. again This thing again is again and again and again. We're gonna watch the work print version too. <laughs> it is yeah, work print next time. <laughs> maybe the most incomprehensible film you could you could possibly watch. It's I, I not, just have. It's I don't have any idea what is what is the plot of this fucking movie. What is happening at any given time? in the woods. They're, they've been there for a while. The woman takes her top off. <laughs> an inn in the ma- like it's it's like Twin Peaks but with the monsters a actual monster several and of them. Bev Bighead is involved in this somehow he's like making sacrifices to the monsters except then he just bursts into flames what an incredible yeah, that, scene that, that, that fucking kicks ass <laughs> like why does he burst into flames I don't I know don't but know. it's cool when he does that whole scene it's it's got everything it's got like a weird old dude in a weird old suit listening to weird old music and then he pops on a really creepy weird old like Halloween mask and he just he just listens to the weird old music and then he explodes this you yeah. guys make this movie sound so much better than it is because it's if you like boil it down there, to those there's parts. an entire Myros, there's an entire like three and a half minute long sequence where we hear the oh no what can the matter be song <laughs> being played on a shitty phonograph while that guy dances around in a clown yes. mask and then yeah he bursts it's into incredible that's cinema it's fucking incredible <laughs> and also all the stop motion stuff is incredible unfortunately there's the other 75 percent of the fucking movie <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's great you gotta work with these guys i mean it's there's so many great conversations about just ranger work which is mostly about (laughs) just being bored or whatever there's incredible sequences like who can forget the guy dousing the totem pole with gasoline and then just throwing down a whole canister gasoline the base and then just lighting a match and standing next to it and throwing it down it's like, man, that is a good way to kill yourself. But he gets away. It's yeah. very exciting. He gets away. It's, you know, it's... It's so good. Or when the dinosaur attacks those two guys <laughs> and they're they're like hanging out by two fucking like abandoned shacks. And then the one guy is just like falling into a pit oh. of sand <laughs> for what seems like a, like an entire century of time passes. It's incredible. And then another guy does a somersault through like a banister. It, oh. It's just it's I would, beautiful stuff. Honestly, God, I would give anything. And he's probably already seen. He probably knows the people who made it. I would give anything to sit in a room with John Waters watching this movie for the first time. Because he probably would know a bunch. Like, like, I really can't express how much of, like, the background 
period. I don't know what this guy had access to. There's so much just weird stuff lying around, like, you know, just toys and knickknacks and tourist stuff just everywhere. It's it's an amazing kind of like a, just a vibe. It's it's such a peculiar film. And I just think it would be really fun to like have someone who probably would firstly appreciate, I think, just that that strange element to it, but also might know a lot about it. I don't know, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I think it would be great. I feel like David Lynch could 100% get in with this movie, particularly the scene with the exploding old man and his shitty music. Uh, this is like key David Lynch material, but just reformulated for like a dollar fifty. Yeah, exactly. And also with no intent and uh, no point intent. The intent is that it's weird and it's spooky and he's bad. I don't know <laughs> what the intent is. In it. Also, I, the intent is to make the best movie ever made. I feel like the intent is uh, <laughs> my friend Jim has made all of these fucking short stop motion videos with monsters. Let's write the Earth's worst scripts and we can fucking chuck them into. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, that sounds great to me. That's that's, you know, guys, men lifting up other men. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's called it's called dudes helping other dudes, Myros. Uh, look into I, it. Maybe I've just capitalism has beaten that spirit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Myros, why won't you ever write a screenplay to help lift up whatever the hell I've done with my life? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I I just you know I'm gonna come live with you for a year or so, get some background going, and uh, we'll work on that. Jack. I I don't think we need oh background. Jack's I'm, wife would love that. Yeah, I don't I don't <laughs> we need too much background. I don't think they they worked too hard on the background for this movie. Although I guess they did have a lot of time to think between all the production shutdowns. So you know it's color. It's it's all you know that's the flavoring of each of each scene. It's it's oh also another mm -hmm. thing that I really love about this film, and I, I think it is actually really cool is um. A good chunk of this film was shot on, like, Super 8, which is, you know, real, like, a consumer-grade film stock. It's generally not used for professional filmmaking purposes. Um, and it's it's great, though, because it, it gives this film that's about, like, monsters in the woods. It really, parts of this movie, granted not really the parts with the monsters, but the parts with the actors hanging around, It like, it looks like those, you know like cryptid movies you know like the the sasquatch footage all that stuff like it has that look because it was shot on a similar kind of film to to what a lot of consumer grade processes being used by guys who went out into the woods and claimed they saw something weird out there it's honestly it's great it really gives this kind of extra level to it this strange verisimilitude in a film that clearly is so utterly hokey and bizarre uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, as much as I say, okay, parts just don't make any sense, it's very ropey in certain points, there's, I, there's just so much, I think, that's so interesting and fun about this movie. This is absolutely the standout of the three for me, uh, and definitely a movie I am probably going to watch at least uh, once every year from now until the rest of my life, uh, you know, because yeah. it's just, it, what, where else would I go? What other movie is like this? I need to track mm -hmm. down all the other movies that are like Winter Beast. They should make Winter Beast 2. They should start production now, have it ready in 2030, and it will be uh, an absolute ridiculous, and Adam won't like it, and I'll think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, that, yeah, that I, always I goes agree. well, like Samurai Cop 2. That's Jack's favorite film. No, no, because those <laughs> are shit. This is good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 It's not like I went into Winter Beast like, oh, I, I really want a movie that makes sense, logical sense. That's that's not the case. It's just that it's like, 
uh, it's disorienting in a way that is not pleasant. Like, it just makes you, like, stop paying attention to it at times. You're like, I don't fucking give a shit. And then you might miss it. I think the word you're looking for is unimpeachable masterpiece. I I, I think there's, like I say, there's there's a very specific (laughs) alchemy for me in this film. Where, yeah, absolutely, this could have all gone horribly wrong and being, you know, the, the, the incoherence could have overtaken it. But like I say, there's so much just kind of peculiar specificities in its production. It really works for me. I think it's a really interesting film. A lot of those other low-budget, like, you know, troubled productions that are kind of pulled together, they don't really have that. Even, you know, even Beyond Dream's Door, in one sense, is almost, is well-made enough to almost be less interesting than the other two because it's the most like a movie in one way. You know, these we're kind of like almost grading it in, in like, none of these are true outsider art, but there is that kind of gradation between like people who know what they're doing and people who are just kind of trying to figure it out. And it creates these kind of levels of, of cinematic, uh, I guess, uh, what you say, envelopment or, or I guess verisimilitude, you could say. Uh, and this this movie is on its own little special tucked away level that's kind of amazing and magical. It's really a one of a kind. Feel like not just amateurs, but amateurs and 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 ambitious and peculiar in so many odd specific ways. I just I've never really seen another movie like Winter Beast. It's great. Uh, I've never seen a movie like Winter Beast, and I'd like to keep it that way, frankly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't mean to be too hard on this. Like I said, there's like 10 scenes in this movie that are fucking incredible, and then the rest of the movie is some of the most boring bullshit you'll ever see in your life. <laughs> okay. But Myros, the next time you're in Milwaukee, I'm telling you, you're going to walk in the door, and this movie's already going to be on. Well, I got to tell you, there's probably a solution that might get me out of your side, and that would be I'll be in Milwaukee and probably chugging, like, fucking ten beers. <laughs> that probably does the trick for a winter beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's eight, at least eight Pepsis. Your blood sugar's going to be off the charts, man. All right. Well, in case you're you're keeping track at home, fatal exam it's kind of interesting. It's something beyond dreams door. Legit. Great. Uh, Winter beast, maybe the best movie ever made. Uh, Kubrick could never. So make sure that you, you get the chance. Purchase the vinegar syndrome, homegrown horror volume one box set and vinegar syndrome. Please, for the love of God, put out another one of these. Cause a uh, lot, lot of treats, a lot of great treats here in this box set, but we got to wrap things up. So, Jack, what are you putting over this week? Okay, I, I'm going to put over, frankly, this this is going to be in the running for best film of 2022. Just caught it in theaters yesterday. Uh, I don't I don't know how you say the title of it. Or, 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 or. Uh, it's got, it's got a, it's got a title in, in Telugu. It's native language, but I do not know what that is. But it's, yeah, it's, it's or, or, or by S.S. Rajamuli. It is amazing. I've been meaning to get into Indian cinema for years and I keep just because of the length of the films and my lack of knowledge I keep just kind of like just pushing it off and I can't find a good entry point this is as good an entry point as I could imagine it's a three hour long historical epic about just slaughtering British imperialists it is just three hours of just violence against invading British people it's like, and then with the scene in the middle, that's like the Passion of the Christ, but it's a fucking song number. This movie is incredible. 
and I. It sounds like it was tailor made for Irish people. Oh, a hundred. <laughs> oh my God, Ir- the Irish film scientists need to figure out how to make a movie like this because it would go down like fucking barnstormer. It's amazing. This is just, uh, and again, this kind of like feeds into you know I've been watching like some chinese blockbusters mainland chinese stuff for like chai did like the detective d movies and i'm starting to realize that if you want like visually visual effects modern day blockbusters they live in asia they live in india they live in china america has forgotten how to make them they suck don't even bother with them there is so much imagination and just absolutely insane content in this movie every scene is like it is just actively trying to be just more outlandish than the previous one and somehow they keep that up for three hours and eight minutes it's incredible there is shit here that you will just you will never forget so if it is playing near you, I implore you, go and watch it. Catch it in the cinema. If not, just just watch it at home. Crack a couple of beers. Invite over a family, you know, just of Indian people to just explain shit to you. Maybe you don't really need to know that much. British bad, Indian good. It's it's a masterpiece. It's incredible. That's all you need. And I know I know in Wisconsin, uh, Marcus theaters are playing this movie. It's I mean it's got multiple showings per day. So. You can catch it there. I think AMC is running it too, so you can catch this in a in a multiplex. I think it's like it's breaking records. I think yeah, for Indian opening in the U.S. I saw it at a showcase. There's a few of those around the Midwest at least. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it is around, and it will certainly show up on home video. And uh, it is. Don't be put off by the runtime or by being like a period epic or whatever. You know, like a, a political movie. It's just uh, it's basically a superhero movie about fighting the british empire and it is amazing mm-hmm. miles what are you putting over this week uh i can't even remember what i put over last time but it, i I'll, I'll do two brief ones uh another movie that beyond dreams or really reminded me of that we did not mention is a uk horror called extro which is a a really a video nasty type thing uh, about aliens, uh, but it is another of these movies that is inexplicably excellent and is super cheap and should look like shit, but actually has some amazing stuff in it and creates this really compelling atmosphere. Uh, Xtro with the, the, there's no e in that; it's just X T R O. Ah. Uh, you got any thoughts on Extro 2 and Extro 3? I've, I've never ventured beyond the original Extro, I gotta say. Uh, maybe I ought to, but probably not, considering their reputation. No. Um, I also, <laughs> I suppose, stick on my Czech New Wave recommendations. Uh, all My Good Countrymen, I don't think I put over, but uh, it's probably my favorite film I've seen in going through these. Uh, it's not as stylistic as some, but it's... Uh, it's pretty profound humanist text about uh, the impact of uh, Stalinism on a Moravian community. And uh, yeah, it's lovely. I love it. Uh, watch it. All right. Well, this week, I'm actually, I'm putting over a streaming channel. Imagine that. Now, a lot of people, we, we've been pushing the Tubi. We're big Tubi guys here mm-hmm. at Optimism Vaccine. But some people, they say, Steve, Tubi? Tubi's so mainstream. What you you want me to watch all these mainstream films, this this populist cinema on Tubi, and uh, they say, well, well, what else is there out there? And I say, okay, 
So if Tubi's a little too mainstream for you, let me let me introduce you to my fucked up friend. He's called the Roku Channel. And <laughs> if you want to know the quality cinema that you can find on the Roku Channel, let me just tell you that the director of Fatal Exam, which came out in 1990 and was definitely shot in the mid-80s, he didn't make another movie until 2007. He's actually got three more movies. He's got Ghost Image 2007. He's got Fatal Call from 2012. He's got Family of Lies from 2017. And where can you find all three of those movies? The motherfucking Roku channel. So, yeah. Become a Roku guy. Uh, maybe we also note your... that this man wrote a, a film called Bad Grandmas that really illustrates uh, the great state of Hollywood for older actresses. Because uh, Florence Henderson and Pam Greer are both uh, star of a film written by the director of uh, Fatal Exam. <laughs> That's, I mean, that's great. I mean, Florence Henderson, it's probably one of those like direct to DVD, you know, like American Pie presents like Horny House or whatever. It's probably like one of those. I, I'd right? imagine so. You got to, you got to get on yeah. with that uh, whole, the bad trend uh, that was very popular like five years ago. You think Florence Henderson goes full spread beaver in that one? <sighs> one can only hope. Yeah. Fingers crossed. All right. Well, <laughs> if you enjoyed the show today, and you've got a thing for Florence Henderson, do us a big favor. There's a link uh, in the description, and that'll take you to our Patreon page. And what you can do is you can give us money. And when you give us money, any amount of money, you can actually uh, get, get something out of it, believe it or not. I will send you from my personal collection. Maybe, maybe you, you want my bootleg copy of Winter Beast? Perhaps that's coming your way. Because you will get a, a VHS tape, a DVD, a uh, a Blu-ray, a Laserdisc, something from my personal physical media collection. It'll be sent to you, to your doorstep, if you donate any amount of money. And then uh, higher tiers, you can uh, you know vote on future content, or you can even dictate an episode that we do. Very exciting stuff. And you know, on top of that, you get access to a bunch of written and podcast content that is exclusive to Patreon. You want to know our thoughts on the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie? The only place to hear that is on Patreon. So, uh, give it give us some cash. Also, we we got some uh we got some emails uh recently from uh from some of our patrons including our buddy Evan who recommended that we watch Shattered Dead, which I think you were talking about earlier today, right, Jack? Yeah, amazing film. I I I'm always up for watching that again. All right. All right, well, uh, uh, we're probably going to have to do some Shattered Ed soon, too. Keep the uh, Vinegar Syndrome train rolling. Also, Vinegar Syndrome, sponsor the podcast. What are you doing, man? Well, I believe it's Saturn's core released that through the Vinegar Syndrome network, if I am correct. Hard to keep track. There's so many of them. I'm looking at this email now. I think you might be mistaken. It appears he's actually recommending something called The Laughing Dead. Oh, The Laughing Dead. That is a Vinegar Syndrome release. I have not watched it. Well, shit. So maybe, maybe we'll do uh, <laughs> Shatter and Laughing Dead. Dead movie. Shatter and Laughing Dead. All the deads that you didn't know you needed. So, yeah, believe it or not, we actually answer our emails. So, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us. We also uh, we'll, we'll tweet back at you if you got something to say. At optimismvaccine on Twitter. So, yeah, give us money. Talk to us. And uh, we love you. Now, Jake's not here because he made the horrible mistake of having a child. So, Jack, I guess I'm going to give the last word to you. I'm going to give the last word to Adam. I'm going to give the last word to Steve. Florence Henderson Beaver. 